Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from The Embellished Pod, an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of this podcast on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or TikTok with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. That is also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today we'll be having Lindsay from Barrel join us again. Um, And they've had a a whole lot of things that have happened since the last time that she and I were able to chat. Uh, They opened their blending facility. They launched their uh, new um, bottom price uh, product of the Foundation Series. They have launched the New Year Series. And there's been some labels and things that might have snuck out onto social media uh, indicating some things that are changing for them. And so um, stick around and listen to the conversation that Lindsay, Lindsay and I have about all of the things that are going on with Barrel and will continue to go on with Barrel. All right, so this afternoon we have Lindsay joining us again from Barrel Craft Spirits. Um, when we finished last time, I said I still had a handful of questions, if not more, that I wanted to con- con- continue on, and one of those being around the new year. But before we get to that, um, and we talked about this a little bit off air, but but the last time we chatted, I had not seen your new facility yet. Um, now I have, and, and it sounds like you haven't had the opportunity to see it in its complete state yet. But um, maybe the first question I have is, is who who do we need to bribe to get back into the speakeasy area? Because that was one of the neatest portions of that tour for me was you, you guys have this little speakeasy places built maybe for, for barrel picks or whatever. But kind of give me an idea on that. Yeah, of course. I I don't know if they have actually the plans on what they're how they're going to manage that speakeasy area, but it's located between a conference room and the blending lab, so not the most convenient of locations. But I mean, what speakeasy is, to be honest. <laughs> but I definitely think that we are going to be using that for like barrel picks, for groups, for accounts. Um, it's a great little t- tucked away bar that is perfect to taste all the barrel. Um, all the barrel products in. I'm just not sure what the, their plan is yet with that. I think we're still trying to b- finish building out the facility in all its yeah. glory. You saw how yeah, massive it was, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's 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 a it's a huge facility, and it's it's a lot like um, any build project. You, you get done enough to move into it, and then you spend the next five years trying to button up the last five percent of the build. You know, I've got. Uh, we've, we moved into this house that I live in right now about 10 years ago, and there's still a piece of molding that needs to go up right over here. Um, so that's just sort of the way things often go. Um, inside the new facility, there's also, uh, or there was a, a, a retail store. Um, is that going to continue to be open to the public where people can come in and purchase things? Or is that, um, was that just for the day of the event? No, that actually is being built out. Um, I, really exciting about the retail store and the facility. There's some old batches that you won't be able to get like in any market currently. Uh, so if you are a big barrel fan and you want to try some old, uh, some of our older batches, you'll be able to find them in the retail store. If you're in Kentucky, it's definitely worth stopping by. They run some sales there that you won't be able to find in other places. So um, especially in control states. So if you're in a control state and you want to stop by to Kentucky, you should stop by the barrel store. So you'll have all of the, all of the items that are available in other markets too, that you might not be able to get. Well, and you already stole my next question. Cause I was going to say, are you guys going to put out any old uh, batches in the retail shop? Like everybody else does. And you are, so that's, 
Um, now it becomes a thing that everybody puts on their checklist of things to do when they're in Louisville, um, proper doing whiskey tours. It's, you know, we need to stop by, uh, the, the retail shop and see what's sitting on the shelf there because you might be able to sneak into some, some stuff. Um, you know, the last time we talked the, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, uh, barrel rye batch four and bourbon batch 35. Those subsequently have been put on uh, Fred Minnick's top 100 and, you know, Whiskey people can kind of go one way or the other with with Fred and some of his opinions, but at the end of the day, it's a pretty significant achievement. What does that do for you as an employee for for the brand? You know that that kind of recognition. It's amazing. I mean, we've consistently been on Fred Minnick's best of list since I started working at the company three years ago. I mean, when Seagrass won number two whiskey of the year with his pick, we sold out of all of our distributors. So there's definitely a following there. I think the fact that we have our batches on the list now just is a testament to what Barrel has been doing for 10 years. I mean, batch 35 is our 35th batch. We started the company with batch one. I think the batches keep getting better as we like learn how to blend better. And I think like over the last decade, we've like, perfected blending. Batch 35 is really well balanced. It's a blend of like six to 13 year old bourbons from Indiana, Kentucky and Tennessee. It's built on a six to eight year old blend of like high rye bourbons with some eight year olds that has like butterscotch and cherry notes blended into it. So you get that on the mid palate and then some 13 year old Tennessee stuff to round it out. But it's a really well balanced, like high rye, still kind of rich and savory style bourbon. And then that rye batch four, I am a rye girl. I'm just a big fan of rye like generally, always. Um, the rye is really great. It's an Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Canadian blend. So five to 14-year-old blend. Obviously, the older stuff is going to be some of that Canadian, but there's a bunch of 10-year Indiana, so that 95.5 mash bill that like kind of is the base of that blend. And then some younger Kentucky and Tennessee and Indiana rye blended in and then finished with some 14-year-old Canadian. So you get all that stuff, that good stuff from the American rye, like that spice, that kind of like sweetness, a little bit of a richness to it. But then you get that green apple and brightness from the Canadian rye. Just really pretty, well-balanced, elegant rye whiskey. I I think the rye is going to do better than the bourbon. But like, maybe that's just because I like rye better than bourbon. But the rye is fantastic. It's probably one of my favorite releases this year that we've released. So mm -hmm. um if you have, if you've been sleeping on the rye, you should definitely go out and get rye batch four. We haven't released a rye since 2020. And that's when I started with the company. And I was a big fan of rye batch three. We were really focusing on developing uh, seagrass. So we kind of took a pause on that. So I was really excited when the rye batch four came out. Yeah. And I'll, I'll agree with, you know, the, the blend of, of, of batch four. Um, and you mentioned there's some, you know, pretty standard 95.5 rye that's in there that, you know, everybody sort of lays the foundation of understanding of what rye is. But the the other items, the other components that you put in that blend, I think, make it something greater than, I'll say greater than 95, because 95.5 rye is still great. But the blend really shines here, I think. And and, and I'll agree with you. I, I did I was one of those people that, you know, 10 years ago, if you'd asked me if I like rye, I'm like, no, I don't like rye. Mm -hmm. um, but that was, you know, usually founded on one time that you drank rye and it may not have been a great rye to begin with. And so um, I've, I've found later on that there's as much variation in rye as there is any other type of whiskey. And um, stuff like these blends really expand the profile of rye, right? Cause it's, there's a lot of, you know, expected it's going to be dill and spicy. Um, but there can also be 
a host of other candy flavors and apple and, and all of these different things. And, and the batch four truly, truly does do that. Um, so after we talked, you guys released, um, obviously the, the 10 year, uh, celebration release bottle, which is phenomenal. Um, but I don't think there's any of that anymore, uh, to be purchased right. at this point, but it's year over year. It feels like you guys just keep hitting, uh, on blockbusters right because i think that you know form four and 35 were great my numbers right there i think it's right yeah, yeah. four and 35 are great um and then the, the 10 year is, is is a phenomenal blend but then you hit this this new thing which is kind of new to the brand is the foundation right which is your five year 100 proof um it's the only one that's that i know of this so far that is non-barrel proof um with a, a lower age statement but it's a, an evergreen. And the first time I got to taste it, I I wouldn't have told you that that was a five-year whiskey if I'd have tasted it blind, right? I, I would have felt closer yeah. to eight, nine, ten years is, is what I would have felt wow. like. There, It is phenomenal. Beautiful packaging too. Mm-hmm. So what, what this feels almost out of left field for barrel, what puts you in the position where you're like, hey, we want to – um, not put out, um, as this, you know, like a crazy blend. We want something that's standard that's evergreen. That's five years. It's hundred proof. Like where does this diversion or divergence come from? I think what I've learned at barrel over the last three years is that never say never, right? Like there's always like this room for innovation and for something new to come out. Um, I think that once they bought the Rick house, which allowed us to keep a lot more barrels close to us in Kentucky and expanded our facility where we have like four, 6,000 gallon blending tanks and like a few 8,000 gallon blending tanks. It kind of increases our ability to make something that is going to remain consistent and a larger amount of it in, in the blending. And we really wanted to be sensitive to the consumer's price point because we've been consistently crushing things that are 80 to $90 a bottle, but we really wanted to make something that you can cocktail with and you can drink neat as well as cocktail with. Because I think that though this is a five-year age-dated bourbon, there's five to nine-year-old bourbons in this. It doesn't drink like a five-year-old bourbon to me. It has this like richness to it. It still has that texture that you're expecting from barrel. Um, but I think that that's where we were this year. We had the new facility. It was large enough to kind of like take on this big project. And it is the only thing that we actually uh, use water as an ingredient in. So they had to build that out. That We mm -hmm. had to like adjust and like build out having water as an ingredient. And so we are very skilled blenders. And this was an entirely new um, challenge for us and the blending. Well, not me personally, but challenge yeah. for the blending team. I was very excited um, as being a part of the sales team to go out and sell this. Um, really excited for my on-premise accounts. It's going to be game changing in terms of like old fashions. We really wanted to compete with those bigger names that you see like Jim Bean, Four Roses, um, something that's going to be blended to be consistent, really easy drinking, it's not easy drinking because it's still 100 proof, but when, you're, when your palate is attuned to uh, cash drink stuff, right. it feels really nice, still rich. It's not every occasion a, uh, a calls for like a few cash drink cocktails. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it, and it definitely tastes older than its statement without being caustic, right? Because you can get kind of into the higher age ranges and it starts getting out of hand and you can't be at 100 proof. And you, you said something in there that 
I hadn't thought of until this exact, until you actually said it out loud. It makes a ton of sense is that you're having to deal with water as an ingredient now where you hadn't in the past because you were just blending barrels together. And so you didn't have to understand. And, and maybe you do after you've put your blend together, you want to see how your blend, you know, holds up to a drop of water here or there. But this is a different creature where you're uh, adding water into a blend that you've already created. Uh, and you got to deal with the exothermic reaction. There's a whole host of things that kind of go into play there. And I could, I could geek out on that for a while, but I think the, the piece that is the most interesting uh, to me, at least here recently is there's been a lot of conversation in the whiskey marketplace around pricing and, and price point adjustments, because we're seeing, you know, most whiskey prices are inflating a little bit. Uh, and you know, it's, it's meeting just standard inflation that happens in the North American marketplace. But, um, you guys had, you know, what you could see maybe is like four price tiers and now you've added a fifth one, but your fifth one was added on the bottom end, whereas everybody else may be going uh, premium. And so you're sitting in a, you know, a 50 ish dollar range and an 80 ish dollar range and a hundred ish dollar range, 160 ish and a 300. And so you kind of run this broad spectrum. Um, do, do you make these decisions because you see there's a place for 54? Is it exactly what you're saying? You know, like I want to, you know, have something for the, the on-premise sales or um, tap into a new, new market, or is this a, a trend you see happening in all of whiskey where everybody's going to have to start, you know, identifying that, that lower tier for themselves? You know, that's a really great question. I think just being in stores a lot lately and doing a lot of in-store tastings. I mean, this is the season for that. I think people are a lot more price conscious than they were three years ago. Um, I'm selling a lot more. I mean, everyone's excited about foundation, so that might be skewing the sales for me, but um, a lot more of that $55 price point is an easier buy. Um, it's a, it's a buy that you can make multiple times like a month as well. Whereas like barrel might be a buy that's like once a month for like seagrass or vantage or dovetail. But this one is like a buy that you can make a little bit more often, but I am seeing like that the price points and also just the amount of bottles that people are buying has fallen off over the last like few years. Just generally the store owners are telling us that stores are a little bit slower year over year. So we're finding that. Yeah. Whether it's inflation it, or just people getting out from COVID. So, right. Yeah. They're, they're spending money on travel now more than they yeah. were three years ago, uh, significantly so. But, you know, and, and I think, you know, whiskey's meant to be shared. And um, if we're talking about sharing things and I have the opportunity to share a $55 bottle that's at 100 proof, I'm not going to get, you know, nearly as, as cautious around. Is somebody going to put this in a, um, a glass of Coke, you know, and make a whiskey and Coke out of it, which, yeah. you know, it, it can do perfectly fine with, but if you've got a $300 bottle, you sort of hate to see that happen. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas this one <laughs> maybe adds a, a different aspect uh, for people, but I feel that it's a great place to also introduce people to, to more nuanced and complex whiskey that doesn't exist at that price point. Right. And so uh, for the person who's only used to drinking a 30 or $40 bottle, you show them this and it's drinks significantly out of its price class. It drinks out of its price class. It also appeals to people that normally don't drink cash strength whiskey where mm -hmm. they'll taste it in a lineup there. I can't tell you how many times I've been like, please don't shoot this. Like take a tiny sip first, yeah. take a second sip, add a drop of water. Here's a water dropper for you. Um, but People are like, this is way too hot for me because they're not used to drinking that. They'll drink like Bailey's or Fireball or like, you right. know, there's a, there are people that like that sort of thing. And I think that right. this is going to bring 
like kind of widen our range of consumers too. And maybe bring people into the brand and like your tongue is a muscle. So once you start drinking things at a hundred proof, you might want a little bit more. And then you start noticing how much more flavor you're getting from something that's a little bit higher proof. So it's a good way to open the door to the brand. And I think we needed something like that in our portfolio. Yeah. And it, it definitely opened the door to the brand. And, and so you, you've launched this and you've, it's had a, you know, a month and a half in, in the marketplace. Is it, is it hitting the expectation that you had for it? Is it exceeding it? Is it, you know, kind of underneath it? Where, where, where are you landing on this launch? So we're, we didn't launch it in every single market, but I'm uh, launching it right now in my territory. I cover the Northeast. So in New York and New Jersey, and it's gone over very successfully so far. I've been taking it to on-premise accounts um, and off-premise accounts too. So it's been very successful. I've done a tasting recently in Jersey City where it was on a Saturday afternoon from two to five and we sold maybe like six bottles of it and people are just bringing it to parties. They're just like, oh, perfect. I'm going to bring this to like my friend's Christmas party, Friendsgiving or wherever they're going. And or like, I'm going to give this as a gift to somebody because it's at that price point where it's like, they're not your best friend, but they're an acquaintance or they're your <laughs> brother in law or something like that. And you just they're worth more than a bottle of fireball, but not quite at a, um, you know, like a gray or gold label. Yeah. And it's new and it's new and it's exciting. <laughs> and it's got that it's got it's 100 proof. It's not like it's 80 proof. It's still, <laughs> it still kind of carries weight there. But yeah, it's been going over really well. And I'm excited to see how how much better it go, it goes once it's like launched in every single market in the, yeah. the country. And just as a as a, as a talk, not as a talking point, but as a definition, um, you know, I, I I know what off premise and on premise is, but for somebody who's hopping on and has never heard those terms before, off premise versus on premise, yes. what are the difference between those two things? So on premise is where you consume beverages on that premise, so like restaurants and bars, and off premise is retail accounts. So you're buying a bottle, you're not opening it there, you're taking it home with you where you consume it or wherever you're going to consume it. Yeah. So, um, so everything is effectively batched at this point. Um, are we going to look for like a, a vintage approach here where each year is going to be slightly different on the foundation or you're going to do your, the, the brand's going to do the dead level best to make sure it tastes the same now as it does five years from now. Yes, that is the answer. Um, the latter. So we are blending this for consistency. It's not going to mm -hmm. be batched like Vantage Seagrass or Dovetail. The mm -hmm. reason why we took so long to release Foundation was because we needed to the Rickhouse and the big blending facility to be able to produce something like this consistently. We've bought barrels specifically for this blend for years. Um, so we've stocked up for a long time for enough to be able to produce Foundation at a consistent level that, and you'll always expect it to kind of remain the same flavor profile wise. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll be really, really nice. Cause that's one of the things that, that I've always uh, sort of, you know, felt, uh, create FOMO, right. Is um, there's a really good barrel batch that comes out. It sits on the shelf and, you know, I had to pick something else the week before and I come back and it's gone and there's, there's not any more of it. Um, and it's like, oh, you know, that may have been the best one yet. I don't know yet. I haven't tried it or whatever, but having a consistent bottle that I know that I can pick up that is going to be phenomenal is, 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 is super nice. You know, I, I appreciate that from a, a consumer standpoint. Um, and that's so that wasn't the last release you've had so far this year. Now we're into the new year. Right. And so it's the, the new year release, which is um, a handful of different states. Right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight is it eight different states on this blend um 
Yep. Yeah. It's eight different, eight different states, which is pretty significant. Um, but even beyond that, each state has, or several of the states have multiple different years that are available, right, from it. And so how do you, how do you go about, how does this get created with this many different states in the blend? So I know that like barrel always pushes the envelope just generally, um, but our bourbon batches, though they are blended to be like different every single release, they're usually your traditional places that you're finding bourbon, right? They're like Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee. Those are usually the blends. I know batch 30 had Wyoming bourbon in it too, but New Year bourbon is our, it's our um, excuse and our way to celebrate the entire year and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit by including um, some states and some distilleries and producers that you normally won't see and then blending it into tasting something like delicious. I love the New Year bourbon because we get to focus on just not those big heavy hitters in terms of states and producers, but we get to feature some like smaller states that you don't realize bourbon might be coming from, like New York and Maryland and Ohio and Texas and Wyoming. So I just really love these blends. I think they are, I bring them every year to Christmas Eve and like everyone tastes it. And my mom even likes it, who even puts like ice in her wine. So I'm just like, these are just very like easy drinking, joyful. They have like a lot more fruit. They're very generous on the palate. Um, I think that they're fantastic ways to celebrate the year. Um, but this is a blend of five to 15 year old bourbon. So there's stuff from everywhere. Uh, I can rattle off all the different ages from all the different states, but now moving forward, you'll be able to find all that information on the back label. We also include a derived mash bill on the back label of these blends too. And this one has, if anyone is a weeded bourbon fan out there, this is 1% wheat in it. So it's 72% corn, 22% rye, 5% malted barley, and then 1% wheat. So it does have that like nice richness to it. It's kind of rounded Mm -hmm. out. It's got that malt flavor profile. And, and one of the things I think that's that's unique about this is you have these derived mash bills. And so if, if I look at this from a traditional bourbon drinker's viewpoint, right, I, I say, well, 1% wheat is not very much. But the reality is, is that 1% wheat was a part of a barrel that may have had significantly more wheat and then it aged. Um, and what it comes out as is a weeded whiskey. And so you're really talking, not a weeded whiskey, or weeded bourbon, weeded whatever. Um, it has a different impact than if it was just 1% of the actual mash bill to begin with, right? If you just, you know, if I went and got out all the ingredients and made this whiskey, it's not going to taste like this blend does. And I think it's, it's, it's apparent at least for um, this particular bottle. I didn't, I couldn't get past the nose of it to, to drink it and, and not in a bad way. Like, Every time I went back to smelling it, I got something new and different. It evolved a whole lot. I mean, I did eventually drink it, but it was like, you know, it was one of those that I didn't want to drink it because once you drink it, then you smell it and it's different because, you know, you've had, you've got the alcohol that's inside. There's a lot of complexity and it it can only come from, you know, being from five to 15 years old and, you know, eight different States and this, you know, effective four grain mash bill, um, I don't, I don't know what else to say other than this is one of the best new years I've had yet. And I, you know, I've had the, since 2020, I've had every year's new years and maybe it's cause I don't have some of those to compare directly against anymore, but it's, it's pretty phenomenal. 
Yeah, I like this year a lot. I get a lot of that cinnamon and like that apple cider and that all of those like fall flavors that you mm -hmm. usually get, like holiday flavors. I really think they capture it in the new year bourbon. It's not like sweet by any means, but you do get like some of that like snickerdoodle and cinnamon. Uh, so I just really do appreciate the blends every year. And we only make about 1800 cases of it. So it's a very limited run. Um, really it's like an allocated allocated bourbon too so that's why and, I and, and it and it smells and tastes like an allocated bourbon as well well that's that's where i'm sitting I, you know i've i've been a little bit of a of a barrel um fan for a while and it just sort of seems to increase year over year uh, as, as as you put out new things whether it's armida or seagrass or the foundation or the amberana or the tale of two casks which i'm nursing the very small amount that's left in my bottle of that because it, it's probably the most interesting whiskey I've had in, in years at this point. Um, you guys are achieving this by blending a lot of, a lot of different things. And, um, one of the things that I came across, um, you know, vine pair marks your master blender as the master blender of the year. Right. And that's, it's gotta be pretty phenomenal, uh, pretty impactful. Can you yeah, talk a little bit about your blender? Fantastic. Uh, we have a blending team. So there's three people on the blending team. You have Trip Stimson, who is our chief whiskey scientist, Nick Christensen, who is our blender and she's manages all the blending operations. And then Joe Beatrice, who's our founder. So there's three completely different palettes that go into this, but Nick is so detail oriented. She is fantastic. She's so patient. She walks you through all the processes. She kind of explains to me how like nuanced blending is because you can have this, you can blend like in the small scale blending lab, think things are going to work. And then when you blend it large, like in, it's angry for a while, it needs some time to kind of integrate and adjust. So she'll like so, start tasting. So when we say sometimes foundation, it's finished in those barrel, not foundation, um, vantage, for instance, is finished in the barrels from anywhere from two to 12 months is because you don't really know until something is not angry anymore when they're starting to integrate with each other. And it, there's a component blends that go into larger blends. And I didn't know like everything was so layered together. So it just, there's a lot of, that goes behind it. A lot of detail, a lot of um, tasting. And Nick is a really, Nick has a lot of integrity, which I really respect. Uh, she always tastes everything blind. She really strives to keep her palate, her palate really honest. And I think that you can tell with the blends that we've been coming out with over the last few years since Nick joined the team, but she is just phenomenal and we're really lucky to have her and everyone else on the team too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't, you don't get to this point without a, without a fantastic team. And I know while we were at the, uh, the event on site um, back in uh, September at this point, that was that long ago now, um, Joe had sort of joked like, Hey, he's on the blending team, but he's really there is like, they've already decided they kick it over to him. And he's like, yeah, this is good. Like that's, that's, that's the mark that he's sort of giving. Now I imagine he's probably soft playing his role a little bit. Um, but whatever comes out, you know, obviously he's, he's been around this for a while, right? He's been around because he's part of the founding team of this. Um, there's, there's different, you know, ages of, of, I don't know what the term I'm looking for is here. Levels of experience, I guess. Maybe there's different levels of experience here between Trip, between Dro, and between Nick. And 
when you make a decision by committee, sometimes you can come to a greater decision than you can as an individual, I guess, is what I'm really getting at is that the teamwork yeah. really does become a key function of the success of this. And you have like different palettes, right? So everyone has a different opinion. Um, at least you have three people. So when you, you have like the vote that kind of it's either two versus one, it's all three, it's one versus three. You know what I mean? You have that deciding factor in there. So you need three to kind of balance it out. And sometimes things that Trip likes, uh, Joe and Nick disagree on, or sometimes things that Joe like, Trip and Nick disagree on. So there's a tiebreaker in that, in that like trifecta there. So, um, I've got a, I've got a handful more questions, but I did want to ask, is there, is there anything we should be looking at in the new year, not in the new year whiskey, but in the new year that, um, that barrel might be doing, uh, that we can keep our eyes on? Yeah, totally. I, I know we're working on something that we don't even know about yet, but, um, mm -hmm. we're going to structure our release schedule so that there's two batches that come out and then two cask finish bourbons that come out. So like we had the cask finish bourbon finish in Ambarana and the cask finish bourbon finish in a tale of two islands barrels, you should expect, um, sometime in spring, uh, a new, I know it was released on uh, Coming Whiskey on Instagram. So if anyone follows that, you'll see that label out there. But it's going to be a Mizunara finish, a cask finish bourbon. And those are, we only do about 2,000 cases of each of those cask finish bourbons. So uh, once it's gone, it's kind of gone. We might release it in a few years, but it's going to be, there's going to be years in between our releases. And it's not, there's not any promises that that finish will come out again. But you should expect that in the, in the spring. And that's the only one that I, I know about. And then batch 36, obviously, but I just don't know when the other ones will be coming out, but expect them to, or what they will be, but expect them to there to be a fall release, maybe a summer release. You'll have a new year, 2025. And it, it seems, you know, coming whiskey has a really good knack for like spoiling the, the surprise for some folks, you know, and um, he, he's got a really growing population of people. And I, I'll admit, I did see that. I absolutely saw that come across. And I was like, I, I need to, to mark this in because Mizunara is a really, really unique finish. And you don't see it uh, almost at all in bourbon. And it has a lot to do with the wood and how you can get access to that type of wood. Um, are you able to talk about how you guys got access to Mizunara or or no? I'm not sure if I'm able to talk about it. I just don't, they haven't told us how they okay. have. I know that we bought, bought the barrels. Mm -hmm. So, and that they're very expensive. Yeah. So, and they're really hard to find. Um, but, and we use, and we do finish some of our bourbon in Mizunara already for the Vantage. Mm -hmm. So that's an ongoing release. Some bourbon is finished in the Mizunara. And now we're going to be coming out with, I'm really excited about this release because I'm curious to see what that is like just mm -hmm. in pure Mizunara barrels and not, toasted American and French Oak. So I think the cask finish series is going to teach me a lot about just wood and teach any, every consumer about wood and how the wood finishes affect the bourbon. And that's, that, that's, that's straight up in the, the, the whiskey geeks. And we talked about this offline, but you guys are developing a really uh, nurturing relationship between whiskey geeks and content creators and yourselves and doing stuff like this just makes it even worse. Like we're all super attached to this because, you know, we, we want to know all of the different wood, how it's going to impact whiskey. We want to know about Amberana. We want to know about Hungarian Oak and we want to know about, 
um, you know, Mizunara, any any new wood that comes up, like, oh, I wonder what whiskey tastes like out of that thing. Um, so we're always going to be there for it. I know, you know, Mizunara is a, a difficult wood to deal with because it can be super leaky and it's super expensive to get. And um, they don't regularly harvest Mizunara because it's really, really old trees before they get to that point. And so um, that's when, when I saw it pop into the vantage, I was like, okay, that makes sense as a component of a blend because maybe you can't get enough to do a full release of it. But then, uh, you know, a, a year later we see it pop up on coming whiskey's page. Um, it's an eager, I think we're going to have an eager crowd of folks that are uh, going to buy that and it probably won't last very long on the shelf. So um, anybody who happens to listen to this or watch this probably needs to go and sign up for um, notifications on Barrel's website so you can find out anything new that comes in. Um, yes, sign up for our newsletter. It goes out. Yeah. The, the newsletters are regular and they are informative. I, I will say that I've, I've been following them since before we ever did an interview and it's a great way to, to pick up these things. Um, so new year has hit most markets at this point. Or, well, I think all yep. markets at this point, um, vantage, not vantage, sorry. Foundation is rolling out still across the United States. Um, what does what does distribution look like? I guess you know. Can I buy this from the website? Is you know on premise versus on premise? We already covered a little bit, but um, what are my options to buy this? Buy okay. anything. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not entirely sure what other states it's going to be rolled out in, but I know it's going to. We're we've been working on rolling it out. Um, it should be rolled out everywhere by January first, though. So it should be mm -hmm. at at least by the end of February, you should be able to find it on all of our open markets and all of our states. I know control states, it takes a little bit of time to approve it and stuff. So just give us a little bit of time next year. I think by February, we should be having it in all of the open markets. So, you know, and I've, I've got, I got a notification the other day from a friend of mine that was traveling in a state that I'm not going to say out loud because I don't want anybody to, to start looking, but there may be a bottle of an infinite barrel sitting on a shelf somewhere in a retail space that he's going back to pick up for me. And so um, I'm super excited about that because it's not something that's, that's readily still available. And it's a project that we talked about last time. Um, I guess, is there anything else specific that you want to jump into? Because I can go back to the new year. I want to talk about the new year and the number of States and uh, you know, how these things kind of play out, but um, I want to make sure we cover anything that you needed to cover. Well, if you're talking about like releases that we're not no longer going to be blending, um, mm -hmm. Infinite Barrel, but also Armida, sadly, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite things. Uh, actually, when I interviewed for the job, I went over Armida as one of the items that in my interview that I was excited about. And, uh, but we are not having any plans to blend Armida again in the foreseeable mm -hmm. future. So if you find it on a shelf, grab it pick it up. It is one of my favorites. It's a blend of Indiana and Tennessee bourbon finished in Sicilian Amaro, Jamaican rum and pear brandy. But um, just so everyone knows, probably not going to release that next year and whatever is out there is out there at this mm -hmm. point. Well, so I'm going to have to cut that out because I don't want anybody to know that I'm going to go buy myself. Uh, so that way I have a longer supply of it. Right. Um, like a retired beanie baby at this point. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yes. It, it, it becomes the, um, the beanie baby collection, but hopefully the, well, I, I, this whiskey will fare far better than beanie babies did over time. Um, cause they didn't end up super well. So if I look at the, the list of States that are on this bottle and this is maybe a weird question, are they in any specific order? Right. So how do these get arranged? Is it just design or is there like some reasoning behind it? 
I have no idea. That's a great question. I don't know if they're doing it in, it's clear that they're not doing it in alphabetical order. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're doing it in like what component blends, like what, how much of a particular state. So is that was it? the, yeah, that was the question was, yeah. is, it, is it like, yeah. you know, Kentucky makes the largest part of the component and then the next one down or the next one over. I don't know if it's a left, if it's like a left to right, or if it's a top to bottom and then roll over to the next one. But either way it was, do these make the majority or is it just like from a design component, this is the best way that we could put these states together. Probably. Let me look at the label. It might just be from a design component and it looks kind of even. Yeah, maybe a design component. I'm honestly not. I know that we fought to get transparency on the labels and we all decided, mm -hmm. we all agreed that like we should definitely have be transparent, but we also are mm -hmm. transparent to a certain level. We don't want people replicating the proprietary blends. So I right. don't think that they would list them in terms of like how much is there because that's giving a little bit too much information away. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think that there is probably a rhyme or reason, but I will find that question out for our next one if there's a rhyme or reason to like the order of how they're label how they're listed on the back label. Yeah, and I'm really I hadn't, excited I hadn't, that they're listed on the back label though. That's like incredible to me that we have all those HTMLs. It makes my job easier. I used to have to like sit there with note cards and memorize like all the stuff that was in the the blend. Mm -hmm. So going forward, I could just flip the bottle around and be like, hey. Yeah, and. I here in the, the the risk is this and i don't say that risk is is the right term there but as soon as you put certain states on the label people start have having some preconceived notions and this is the thing that I, that i think that you guys have done there's a couple other people out there that do blending that, that have done this really well is that your your blends incorporate the whiskeys without bringing along the justification for some people's preconceived notions about certain whiskey. You know, like there's, there's a distinct group of people that feel that Tennessee whiskey tastes a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but that way does not show up in your blend in, in, in their mindset. And so I think that's the, the risk and the reward at this point is being able to showcase these, these whiskeys and say, nah, it's really not what you think it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think everyone comes into every, I mean, stereotypes exist for a reason things could people have preconceived notions of things but i think what barrel does is kind of i mean people are like oh i hate this type of flavor and a chef mm -hmm. can make a dish with that ingredient in it and it doesn't emphasize that particular type of flavor i mean if you're talking about tennessee i grew up on flintstone vitamins i can definitely taste when it, things are like a little bit mineral i was scarred by those growing up mm -hmm. <laughs> and so i don't like that flavor profile but i don't think that you can taste it in the majority of our of our batches and people will insist that just because it says tennessee it's from dickel but i don't we work with 50 different Fifth, yep. more than 50 different distilleries from around the country. Like it's not, that's not the only one we work with from Tennessee. So I think making assumptions doesn't do anyone any favors. And I don't think that it's necessarily about the components that we're putting into these blends. We're putting in so many different components, sometimes as much as a barrel, sometimes as much as a 750 bottle mm -hmm. in a 4,000 to 6,000 gallon blend to kind of change the flavor profile. So if you're going to tell me that a 750 bottle of Dickel in a 6,000 gallon blend, you're going to taste, like they'll give you an award. You know, they're, these blends are not about what's going into them. They're about what they taste like afterwards, but it's interesting and nerdy to know what is going into them because it's fun. Like that's a fun part of the blend, mm -hmm. but we're blending for flavor profile. We're not blending to be like, this is what this does to this blend. Like we are blending to get a flavor profile. And I think that's what Joe's role is, right? Joe wants 
Joe will task someone with the task of like blending for a certain flavor profile or saying that he wants something like that. And he will make sure it comes out that way. Because for instance, with seagrass, he gave Nick the, Nick the, um, the task of, he wanted a rye. He wanted it to have three finishes and he wanted it to taste like how seagrass tastes like fruity, floral, bright, refreshing, something that you would drink in the summertime. And it took so like two years or like almost two years to blend that and figure out the blend. And it became my favorite whiskey that we've ever put out besides probably rye batch four because I just mm -hmm. like blends of rye. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, rye blends. Grass and but you made a really good point in there when you said, you know, if 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 people feel like they can taste, you know, one bottle in a six thousand gallon blend, um, they should get an award. Honestly, they should probably get a job at that point because I think they're probably even beating um, like computer analysis of whiskey at that point, being able to say, oh no, I know exactly where this came from. Um, it, some of this, you know, when I look at the the states on these lists, I now have to start like googling where could it be from like maryland like what what distilleries are in maryland that you could possibly getting whiskey be getting whiskey from and um it may be shedding some light on other distilleries uh, whether it's intentional or not that are making you know quality whiskey that people should be paying attention to um because you know kentucky indiana tennessee you know we can all kind of stack hands on knowing who those might be um but you get into maryland you get into wyoming to New York to a certain degree, although I think New York's getting a whole lot more recognition in the whiskey game uh, in the last you know yeah. six months year than maybe prior to that, and then Texas has its own reputation in and of itself. But I, now I'm trying to figure out like where in Maryland is whiskey coming from? That's I, I enjoy that. I think. Yeah, I and it's fun, and sometimes we're getting stuff from distilleries that maybe don't release a bourbon, and they sell their bourbon barrels. Like it's it's. You can, or we buy them from brokers, like instead of mm -hmm. distilleries. So you never know exactly. But I think that what I really like about Barrel, though, since the beginning, when I first started working for them, is that they're transparent about where things are coming from. They say where it's distilled. Yes, we're from Kentucky. We're based in Louisville. And we're bottle and blend everything there. So the art does happen there. But the distillation happens other places. And it's nice to know that there's like at least a little bit of provenance to where the barrels are coming from listed on the back label so you know in in provenance uh, there's a whole host of these french uh wine terms that are coming into play into whiskey and i i really like it because there's not a, a an english equivalent for the idea of provenance and the same thing with cuvee or um i, I, I talked to a guy uh, in ireland yesterday about some of this but it's nice to the, the transparency is appreciated from the consumer's viewpoint as well i think uh, and I think that's you, you see some some rewarding from that. And um, I had the opportunity last week. I, I hosted a, a blind tasting for a group of people with a really really mixed um, level of experience with whiskey. And what we really did was just on the leg legality of whiskey. And we spent a good portion of time talking about the difference between produced by, bottled by, and distilled by. Because you have a lot of brands that will say produced by or bottled by. Um, but they never really indicate where it's distilled. And a lot of times yeah. it's because they're sourcing their whiskey from somewhere else. And whether it be because they've got a um, NDA or some other reason they can't say who they bought it from, they're still not being transparent that they specifically didn't do it. Um, and a lot of times you can put three or four 
distinctly different bottles on the sh- on the countertop and say, let's taste these. And they're all the exact same distillery that made it, but there's no indication. And so you know, it, it, do, do you think there's any appetite or interest for pushing for more transparency from a legal standpoint um, within the state of Kentucky or the federal government at this point? Or do you say, we're going to do what we're going to do and and maybe the market dictates everybody else has to? <sighs> that's a loaded question, to be honest. I think that I think that people should be. I think there should be transparency on the labels. I think that um, I think the pendulum swings both ways, right? I mean, when Dovetail came out, they wanted us to consider to categorize it as something on the to be on the same shelf as like Fireball would be with the TTB, because mm-hmm. it was finished in different casks. Um, now there's so many brands that are coming out that are finishing finishing things in different things that you're just like, there's a cask for that. Um, so I definitely think that there needs to be guardrails and regulations. And I think that there should be a push for transparency, but I don't want that push to be so limiting that it hinders innovation because you see this in like, bring it back to wine, but you see this with like wine where it's like, could be like in Italy, for instance, like DOCG, DOC, you have to follow certain rules in France, AOC, you have to follow certain rules, but it limits innovation and creativity in a certain way because like you know that at least that wine is going to be classic varietally correct and have quality but there should be maybe we should like adopt that into whiskey where like if you want to be considered a certain type of whiskey like you have to follow certain rules and if you want to exist outside those rules you can and it could be still considered a whiskey but like not on the same level like maybe Mm -hmm. that could work because like they're there needs to be some guardrail, so it's getting a little out of hand out there. Yeah, because like, I've I've, I've seen world. like strawberry toast finished whiskey, and that's not that there's that's not a real thing. And I understand that they're, they're they're finding a, a barrel that had some strawberry brandy that nobody's ever going to drink, um, and they yeah, agent that, and they've got a toasted barrel, so now they've got strawberry toast is is the name of it. But it can be really really misleading. Whereas um, you guys are giving a brand and then, you know, brand name, right? So dovetail is a, is a really, really good example. It's the brand name is dovetail. And then you say, this is what we're finished in, right? These are the, the types of casks that exist instead of trying to uh, blueberry brandy or some other thing. That's not real. Uh, but then like I have to caution beer. myself. It's What's like, that? It's like the craft beer world. Like it just like got a little bit out of hand. Okay. Like I mm-hmm. really loved the craft beer world for a while. And then like all the lactose and like, like, I don't know, just got like way too, <laughs> way too much. It's, it's, it's the point when, when, which innovation, uh, is unchecked and it creates, uh, what is the, the phrase from Jurassic Park? They never stopped asking. They asked if they could, not if they should basically, right? Like yeah. you can do it, but it doesn't mean you should do it. And <laughs> I know I slaughtered that and somebody who actually likes Jurassic Park is going to go look that up and be like, no, this is what he said. But the intent is, is that they can explore that, but then I also have to caution myself because even in the Scotch realm, um, they finish in sherry on a regular basis, but there's not a large enough sherry market to generate the number of butts that they need to actually age in. And so there's a lot of people that are making sherry and pouring it out because mm-hmm. they just need the butts to age Scotch in. And so at least it's a, like, it's actually a spirit that some people do consume and just, you know, it, they outstrip the demand or the, the need. So it, I, I appreciate the approach to transparency in any way that you can get there. And there, there's a couple of people, a couple of brands in the industry that are doing that. And 
I would hope and expect to see the rest of the brands follow suit, uh, whether they're legally required to or not, because consumers are, um, especially if consumers start tightening their purse strings and being more discerning in their purchases, they're likely also going to want to understand even better. If I'm going to part with my hard earned money, yep. I need to know what you have. Yep. I actually now knowing what I know over the last few years, I look at bottles like I often on the shelf and I'm like, does it say where it's distilled in? And mm -hmm. a lot of the times I would say at least 60 to 70% of the time it does not. Like at yeah. least for the independent, not the bigger brands, obviously, but the smaller ones. I'm like, oh, I wonder where that's distilled. It doesn't say. It says produced well, even, in or bottled. Yeah, in. even with the even with the bigger brands. I mean, if you think of of some of these 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 brands that have multi site distilling, right? That are a large brand. Um, if they get down to the city or county, it may be different from bottle to bottle because. They've got, you know, they've got a still in one county and a still in another county, and they're both generating for the exact same thing. But if you get that geographic, then you start getting confusion in your own brand. And so it is, it's not just the small folks that are uh, obscuring it and maybe through, you know, realistic intent or through some, you know, malfeasant intent that they're, they're trying to, to obscure what they're doing. But you, you guys aren't. So we're not going to talk about them anymore. We're going to talk about what you guys are doing. Um, so can you look back at this year and say, this is a really successful year for barrel. Um, does it meet your expectation? I know, you know, you're, you're in the sales industry. And so you have, you probably have KPIs or OKRs or sales metrics that you have to hit every single year. And those don't always tell the entire story of what success is. And so, um, looking at what you, your brand has achieved, do you like, is this like an A plus? Is this a B? You know, maybe that's loaded because you're getting towards the end of the year where it's time for year end reviews and you don't want somebody watching where, you know, <laughs> Lindsay said it was a B plus attempt or whatever. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I think everyone has their own perspective, but I think like we're going in the right direction, right? Because I think this was a great year because we just opened that new facility. We have a rick house that changes the game we came out with a bourbon that is 55 dollars on the shelf that is going to be blended for consistency that is a i think it's incredible for the price point i think it over delivers so just those things alone i think we're doing great i think also us kind of course correcting in a way that's like we're going to come out with two batches a year no more than that and they're going to be limited we're going to make them two thousand cases max we're going to come out with two cask finished bourbons a year we're going to start kind of consolidating our core portfolio and our release schedule so people know what to expect and when to expect it instead of just like throwing everything out into the market just because the market wants it and i think that's going to i think next year is going to be an even better year too so i think we're starting to like kind of fill in to the to what we are now 10 years later i think we've learned our lessons and i think this year I think this was a successful year. I th it just, we're just growing at a pace that is honestly beautiful to see over the course of the last three years that I've worked here. Yeah. And it, and it feels like the, there, there's a core identity that, that barrel has been chasing for a long time and that's been understood of who you are, but it also um, looks like there's been a great amount of experimentation to sort of fill out the edges of what that identity is. And, um, to me, 2023 reads as the year where you've sort of fully realized this is the brand identity we are now. We're going mm -hmm. to you know, shore up the things that we do really, really well. Um, and you, you, you've solidified a couple of locations, like you said, with your blending facility and your rickhouse. Um, you've 
adjusted prices, you've entered into new pricing markets, you've, you've done a host of things that show a high degree of maturity from a brand that is only 10 years old. And, um, the, I think the, the scariest thing for, for me as a consumer is the risk of being purchased by somebody much, much larger, right? Because this is a, also a growing trend that happens is that, um, a brand sits around for about 10 years and they build themselves into a really successful engine. And then the Diageo's and Campari's of the world come show up with, you know, a bucket, uh, you know, a bucket of money and say, Hey, we would like to buy you. And I mean, it's business, business is business, but you know, then there are, you know, concerns from the consumer standpoint that come along, but I, I would agree wildly successful year. Um, I do want to go back to, to one question. So you've, you've got the, the retail facility at the blending facility. If I show up over there, is there an opportunity to do tours at this point? Or is that, that was just a like open house. We did a tour and now we're going to shut it back down. We're going to do retail sales. I honestly don't know like what the mm -hmm. plan is right now. No, because they're still building out some parts of the facility. So that they, they just don't have the team to be able to like host people there currently. Mm -hmm. And like, just it's been, we launched it, we opened it in September. It's the end of the year. I don't know if, when that is going to be if you show up for a tour, but I just know you can show up to buy bottles for sure. I don't know about the tours though. Gotcha. I don't know when that's going to change either. Hopefully sometime next year, but I'm not sure. So, but if you sign up for the email, you'll find out when it happens. Yeah, exactly. Right? The newsletter, go on barrel urban.com sign up for our newsletter. It's actually a very, very good newsletter. It's very, yeah, no, it's, it's not like I'm not one that's much for newsletters, but it is, because sometimes it's, you know, a whole lot of fluff and, and not a lot of information, but it feels very intentionally put together, which yeah. most everything you guys do, it's very intentionally put together with useful information, the appropriate kind of marketing stuff, and then um, understanding what's happening with and around the brand. And um, there's been a couple of times where, you know, something will come out and I'll, I'll read it in the newsletter and then I reach out to, to Aaron. I'm like, hey, what about this? And he's like, oh, yeah, hey, here's this thing. Right. And so it's 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 pretty in real time. Um yeah. Almost I appreciate too real time too real time because yeah people, sometimes it like, is yeah if, if you get ahead of those guys still hasn't hit like our distributor sometimes the item is like still inbounding and mm -hmm. then all the accounts are like I want this now and, we're, and they're like two more weeks and they're like <laughs> hey can you not release the newsletter yet we're like nope sorry be fast yeah so just just tell the retailer that they need to press upon their their local representatives to eliminate the three tier system and then we can, you can get it to them faster right yeah yeah definitely. That'd be a lot easier. It would but be quicker. I don't know. Easier, maybe not, because it adds more logistics into your world. Um, we would but, need to hire a bunch of more people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I really, really appreciate the time that you've given me this afternoon. Um, if there's anything else that you want to talk about, you tell me right now and we'll go that direction. But if not, um, yeah, I was just super thankful for the opportunity. Awesome. I know that we mentioned that Fred Minnick picked batch 35 and dry batch four, but I just want to highlight some new press that came out last week. So batch 35 was at number 11 in whiskey advocates, uh, top 20 exciting whiskeys of 2023. So don't sleep on batch 35. And then also new year bourbon was written up by wall street journal, uh, this weekend. And we sold about 300 bottles just over the weekend on the website. So new year bourbon is a great you should not sleep on New Year bourbon either. So you you know you're exactly right, and this is what I get. I had work travel all last week, so I have not been able to keep up with any of my information. So I'm trying to run off of stuff, and I didn't even like I, I 
the the um batch 35 news that made sense to me like I, i'd heard that one and just forgot it but i didn't hear about the wall street journal stuff for new year that's yeah it's because it's hiding behind a paywall sometimes you know <laughs> right well i mean it usually gets shared amongst the the whiskey nerds um you know somebody will get access to it and they'll screenshot a page and send it around and i, I hadn't come across that yet but that is that that is some phenomenal recognition and you know I, i'd say they got it right you know sometimes those the larger publications that aren't spirits based um can can make some real wild guesses as to what's good they're right on this one so who at the distillery or in the brand sorry who in the brand has the obsession with outer space joe joe okay. yeah okay because whenever we were in there i was walking through and i was looking at some of the names that are on the bottles in the blending facility right and so they're all like constellations or stars or planets or whatever and there's like pollux and there's and i was like Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm putting this in my brain. I'm coming back and asking this question. Like, somebody yeah. <laughs> is a space nerd, and I appreciate it thoroughly. Well, Stellum, for Stellum, all of our single barrels are organized, mm -hmm. like, based on mash bill and flavor profile, but they're organized into lots of barrels that correlate mm -hmm. with, like, clusters of stars. So, like, clusters of barrels, clusters of stars, or constellations. Yep. So that's why there's, like, Pollux, Leo, uh uh, Cygnus, there was like serpents for Rye. So they're all, Joe loved space and nerded out with the constellations and likes astrology and astronomy. So uh, kind of bring that into naming different clusters of barrels. Yeah. And I, I knew it was around the Stellum, but I was not trying to ask, I didn't want to ask specifically about Stellum because Stellum's a whole other, whole other series of conversation. But I, I noticed that they were all on the Stellum, bland, Stellum bottles. But I was like, this is, I enjoy this. And I was talking to um, David from Whiskey My Wedding Ring. He noticed the same thing because he's the same degree of nerdy as well. He's like, what's this about? I don't know, but I'm going to ask. Yeah, I love that too about Joe with the stars and the constellations. Yeah. And the, I think it's a very smart way of like organizing. I mean, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Together, you're just like, right? These are these are going over here, and those are labeled Pollux, and these are going over mm -hmm. here, and those are labeled labeled Leo and they're entirely different flavor profiles. So when we're pulling for blends, we'll like pull from these and pull from these. Um, they're all different. So sell them single barrels, all available. You can get your own named Perseus, Pollux, Leo, whatever you'd like. Uh, those are MGP though. So sell them mm -hmm. single barrels, MGP, um, 75, 21, four. And then the rise are 95, five. You know, when we did the very first one, I, I, I developed every question I could around barrel or stellum or anything that was involved. Um, so, and, and feel free to not answer this, but it seems like in the last few months, I've heard less out of stellum than maybe the, the this time last year. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that happens with a brand whenever they're, you know, considering a relaunch or a new initiative or something you know was this in deference to the foundation release or just by the nature of the way stellum built its brand so i think with stellum i think we're still like finding our footing with stellum but we're moving stellum into more of a custom blend and single barrel brand so instead of blending stellum bourbon and stellum rye we're going to be blending uh custom blends for like we did one for whole foods this year um some anyone that wants to order like more than a hundred cases of 12. Mm -hmm. Like, so if you are a group or 
restaurant group or you have national accounts and you want to blend something like that on that scale, we definitely will do a private blend for you. And then we also have single barrels always available. So that's where you're seeing like the Pollux and the Perseus. So we're kind of pivoting, sell them into custom blend and single barrel. It's like our custom brand. So you can buy five-year-old, five to actually like six and change year old MGP at this point. Um, that's 75, uh, 21, four, and then 95, five for the rye Nashville. Uh, but those might change. We might get different barrels in there. But if you want a single barrel and you want it to retail for $55 on the shelf, I would go with, with Stellum. And they're all cash strength. So they're not hundred proof like foundation, mm -hmm. but they're truly single barrels. And it, we're not going to be blending until it's like a bigger custom blend. So we're pivoting away from that. And then we were able to use a lot of those barrels to develop foundation. And we thought that foundation was a little bit more important for the market. Mm -hmm. And so just still came about, you know, you guys have the, the barrel brand and still just sort of kind of pops up. Is this a result of having a quantity of barrels that might not fit into whatever your current blending effort is and you wanted a way to kind of get rid of them? Or is it like an intentional, we're going to have barrel and we're going to have Stellum and we're doing something specific with Stellum? The, I think the latter, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, we, I think we thought we wanted to do something different with Stellum than actually happened uh but we realized that we would prefer to use those barrels into like barrel blends like even mm -hmm. bourbon and selling rye those core blends they were just as good as a barrel batch maybe like having mostly younger whiskeys in them i know the selling bourbon had four to 16 year old bourbons in it uh we definitely want to use some of the older stock to blend into barrel instead of mm -hmm. just continuing to kind of launch the selling selling line but Okay. Yeah. And so it's it, having a secondary line can be a distraction for some people. And I, I think about some, some brands that are in Tennessee or almost in Ohio uh, that are in the state that have ran the, the dual brand approach and one can ultimately become a distraction for the other. Um, what it looks like, you know, and, and based off of how you're describing the refocus of the intent is it looks like that you're protecting yourself from having that sort of a distraction from a brand level is that, you know, barrel is the brand and Stellum is this thing that is a business function. It does something else, but it's, you know, with the custom blending, that's, I think that I, I, I like that. That's, that's a thing. I haven't seen too many people other you know, doing that. And then single barrels as well. Um, and that's the thing that I still see a pretty good quantity of floating around is the, is the single barrels. But um, there was the, you know, the Equinox and the Fibonacci and the Hunter's Moon and all of these things that sort of came out of what it felt like nowhere. Right. And, and I'll tell you my, my initial concern was that Stellum was going to be the new thing and that barrel was going to go away. And um, that didn't happen. Right. So we're all happy. All the, all the nerds rejoiced. Um, but it's sort of an, an interesting experiment, I think. Yeah, I mean, who those custom blends, though, to be honest, the Lone Cypress and the Fibonacci, as a rye fan, those are my favorite. Some of my favorite things we've ever blended. I love the Lone Cypress. Like, if you can find a bottle of that, like, whatever's out there is out there at this point. We're not blending it again. Um, but if you could find a bottle, I would pick one up. They are fantastic blends. Mm -hmm. I just think that when you have a $90 bottle of Selim versus a $90 bottle of Barrel, it's like competing against the same price point. Mm -hmm. um, we tried something and we blended really great whiskey. And sometimes 
you pivot. Yeah. And I'm not there behind the doors making the decisions and kind of understanding why the decisions are being made. Um, I'm out here selling the whiskey, so I get to taste people on it and taste uh, consumers on the whiskey. And anyone that I tasted on Lone Cypress, Lone Cypress Inn, it's very, very good. And those Hunter's Moon too, Hunter's Moon and Equinox, those bourbons are fantastic. They're just blends of straight bourbon that are done in a smaller scale than a barrel bourbon batch. So I would say it's like a quarter of the size of a barrel bourbon batch. So limited releases on those. Um, and if you like something that, like a bourbon to uh, drink with whiskey, uh, drink with cigars, I would say Stellan Black Bourbon. I used to recommend that as a cigar pairing because it's got that like really nice, like kind of savory, darker chocolate. It came in at around 109. It was like built on the Stellan Bourbon blend, but layered in with older bourbons. So if you still see those in market, please pick those bottles up there. Mm -hmm. A steal for the quantity versus the, the price on those. But so what, what kind of cigar should I be pairing with this? Like, so it sounds like you, you, you know, a little bit about cigars. Am I, am I looking for like a dark cigar or a light cigar? Like what kind of cigar should I be after? I don't really know much about cigars, okay. but I've worked a, I did a few cigar events this year mm -hmm. <laughs> where I actually smoked a cigar. Correct. Uh -huh. So I'm not really, I smoked, uh, I learned about like Connecticut leaf or mm -hmm. Connecticut wrap. Uh, I learned about, uh, I think one of them was New Dorado. Mm -hmm. Something about a New Dorado. I have no idea. This is not my forte. Maybe one day I'll learn about cigars. I feel like that's the next thing, right? I came. Yeah, from that, that seems to be the the, the, the transition is it's whiskey and cigar. Preparing uh, uh, whiskey and and pizza, and you know they're not wrong because I've yet to be at a whiskey event where pizza didn't eventually show up. Right. So yeah. that's, that, that's about how it usually goes. Um, yeah. I just did a seminar in Jersey where we tasted through at least six with six whiskeys. And then I had some stuff in the bag for anyone that wanted to taste other stuff. And then all of a sudden six pizzas walk through the door. So you're not wrong. <laughs> so if, if, if you're putting together a tasting with a pairing, what do you usually do? Like for a restaurant or just in, in general, it's just you, Lindsay's hosting uh, people at her house. She's doing a whiskey tasting. What's your pairing to go with the whiskey or does it vary by whiskey? It, it probably varies by whiskey, but I think like some, especially with the cash strength whiskey, something a little, I want to include something a little bit heartier. So like, I think pork belly pairs really well with like some, richer style whiskeys, I think, um, even just like with seagrass too, which is got those fruit and floral notes. Like you can eat, pair that with like a lighter course, like a salad with some of something fatty in it though, uh, or like cheese or burrata, like seagrass can kind of cut through the fat of that, uh, short ribs we've done with steaks, we've done lamb. So even like a fish dish that has like a nice, like richer style broth, like tomato and like something that's like heavier in style, like a chipino. I feel like you could pair with some of the whiskeys. I wouldn't do like something really light because I think the whiskey would just like completely overpair it. But mm -hmm. sometimes like as long as you have a piece of protein, but it's really the accompaniments that kind of pair with the whiskey and the fat in the dish. Yeah, we absolutely should have started with this because I'm like making notes over here of, of what I need to be eating with my whiskey now because um, – 
it's more rare for me to just drink whiskey than it is to drink whiskey while, you know, a meal or appetizers or a cocktail party or whatever. Um, and you, you get your standard, you, you go to any of these things, you get your standard, there's going to be a charcuterie plate and there's going to be yeah. pretzels or crackers or corn chips or whatever. But um, trying to find something that's a little bit different uh, is is nice. And so I've, I've got a long list of things to try to pair with whiskey here so that way I can inform. Chocolate. Yeah, chocolate. My coworker, John Bundy, did a tasting um, at one of his accounts. He bought a bunch of different chocolate bars and like broke off pieces and like paired it with different whiskeys and did it as an in-store tasting. So it works really well with different types of chocolate. Because you get like some, with some of our bourbons you get and, and whiskeys, you get some of our, like that bittersweet cooking chocolate, but then other ones mm -hmm. you get like milk chocolate, different, different chocolate, different styles of chocolate. So... Yeah, I get a lot of dark chocolates. A lot of times on dark whiskeys, I get dark chocolate. And, and that may be just me wanting the bitter flavor because I, I like super dark chocolate. Um, but yeah. That's why I really like the 10-year anniversary blend. I get a lot of that like really rich dark chocolate from that. Mm -hmm. All right, now I'm hungry. Me too. <laughs> All right. Um I do need to cut there. I've got to um, hop to another meeting here in about 15 minutes and I've got to switch back into my day job brain. Um, so uh, if you've got anything else you want to share, if you've got some links or whatever, go ahead and, and share them here and we'll, we'll, we'll cut it out. Perfect. Um, if you want to follow us, uh, like John said, you can sign up for our newsletter, barrelbourbon.com. Don't forget the second L in barrel uh, and sign up online. And then you can also follow us on Instagram at Barrel Bourbon. And I think we're on TikTok and we're on Twitter or X now. Uh, and we're on Facebook too. And we post all of our events on our Facebook and our Instagram. So at the beginning of every week, there's a ton of events all over the country right now going on because we're all out there in stores, at restaurants, doing tastings. And there's a large team of us. So please stop by, say hi at the events. We'd love to know that you listen to John. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for your time. Um, look forward to talking to you again. Uh, I, I imagine we'll probably have another conversation uh, here in the next few months as this uh, Mizunara hits the, the marketplace and um, any other uh, fun and unique things that Barrel happens to do. Uh, I've said it a bunch of times and I can absolutely be accused of uh, being a shill for bourbon, for Barrel bourbon and Barrel craft spirit specifically because I really, really do um, enjoy everything that you guys do. Uh, I appreciate the time that you take to come and sit down and chat with me. Of course. Thank you so much for everything that you do with, for our brand. And I hope you enjoy the bourbons this holiday season too. Thanks for tuning in to this offering from the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media, on TikTok or Instagram using Embellished Pod. Give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishedpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Thanks for stopping by.